Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. This is where we teach people how to love God, save souls, and slay air. This is the holy hour of power. This will not be low-energy Catholic radio. Nope. I'm a Catholic with a PhD in common sense. My partner Terry's out there doing some apostolic work. We have a great program lined up for you when it comes to God's Word. We're going to talk about the Holy Bible, pretty much the entire program. But uh, on the Terry and Jesse show, this is where we engage the culture of death with prayer, fasting, and full contact Catholicism. I'm reporting for duty. By the way, if you like this show, if you like what you hear, then you can share the full show link at vmpr.org, vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio, VMP Radio and our YouTube channel called Full Sheen Ahead, taken for the great Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Full Sheen Ahead, and you can share it with your friends and evangelize everybody that you love. Hey, family, the month of February is dedicated to the Holy Family, the special devotion which proposes the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as a model of virtue of all Christian households. This began in the 17th century. Every family, every Catholic family is called to imitate the Holy Family, and we're called to turn our our homes into domestic churches. There's a doxology that I end when I do my morning prayers and my evening prayers me and the lovely Anita, we end our prayers with this doxology. We'll say, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Save souls in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, month of February, I don't know, maybe you could add that to your war bag. You can add that doxology when you end your morning prayers, your midday prayers, your evening prayers. Just say, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Save souls. And then you bless yourself with the sign of the cross. Let's look at what's happening around the country. Then we'll get into some soul food, the gospel for today. Here's the first point of interest. The satanic temple is getting involved in the abortion business. Yeah. The satanic temple opens their first abortion clinic uh, and, and they over in New Mexico. And they've, they've opened up the clinic, they say, to provide religious abortion. We don't know what that means exactly. And they're going to call their first abortion clinic that they're opening up in New Mexico in a facility out there. They're going to call it the Justice Samuel Alito's Health Facility or uh, the, the Samuel Alito's Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic. Obviously, they're doing this because they hate him because these Satanists hate the truth. And Justice Samuel Alito was one of the five Supreme Court justices that uh, made Roe versus Wade history obsolete. Another piece of news is President Joe Biden announced Thursday that his top economic advisor, Brian Deese, would be stepping down. He's not stepping down. He's quitting. <laughs> the president did not say when Deese would be leaving the White House. He also did name a replacement. Uh, Brian Deese, obviously, he sees this economic crisis inflation that we haven't seen in over 40 years. And uh, Brian D says, you know what? I don't want, I don't want history to record that I was to blame for this. And so I'm out. So Brian D says 10, seven, he's out. Another point of interest. Did you know that Catholic school students were kicked out of the Smithsonian Institute museum in DC? Why? 
Were they vandalizing? Were they spray painting? Were they breaking statues? No. For wearing pro-life beanies. The museum staff obviously woke. They mocked the Catholic students and claimed the museum was a neutral zone. And so they kicked them out. <clears throat> I hope the St. Thomas uh, More Law Center gets involved or uh, some other great organization. Again, this, this can't happen. We have rights as well. Just because we we're followers of doesn't mean we don't have rights. Also, last bit of news. Father James Martin, who teaches material heresy, I don't know his heart, so I can't brand him a formal heretic. I suspect that he knows better. But at the very least, he's a material heretic. What, what does that mean? That he teaches things that are wrong. He's a baptized Christian, Catholic Christian that teaches things that go against the doctrines of the church. That's material heresy. He's supposed to be giving a talk this week at Salve Regina University in Rhode Island. And according to media reports, like a wolf in sheep's clothing, here's a couple things that you need to know about Father Martin. He needs prayers. First bullet, Father Martin tweeted a sacrilegious icon to 299,000 people showing Our Lady of Chestahova with pro-homosexual rainbow-colored halo. Second bullet, Father Martin said Catholics should reverence homosexual unions. What? That's a sin. How can we reverence it? Third bullet, Father Martin supports homosexual kissing during Mass. That's a sacrilege against God. Fourth bullet, Father Martin supports transgenderism for children. That's child abuse, by the way. Fifth bullet, Father Martin said homosexuals should be invited to be Eucharistic ministers. <laughs> Here's my take. Nobody should be a Eucharistic minister other than the priest and the deacons that are there assisting them. And final bullet, Father Martin, Father Martin welcomed an award from New Ways Ministry, a group condemned by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Here next, we're going to be talking to Father Kirby. He wrote a book called Understanding the Bible, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life Today. My favorite book, number one bestseller. So we're going to be talking to him about God's Word. As uh, And by the way, tomorrow on the Terry and Jesse show, we're going to have Mark Houck. Yep, the white martyr, the, the white American, uh, he's a white martyr here in America. Uh, this man definitely has gone through the dark night of the soul as a result of the unelected Biden administration and his uh, and his FBI, uh, his FBI uh, henchmen. And, and the Department of Injustice, unfortunately. So Mark Huck will be on the Terry and Jesse show tomorrow. Let's let's uh, let's go and uh, see what God's word has to say to us today. Soul food, Luke chapter 2, 22 and following. When the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem. That's the Holy Family to present him to the Lord. That's Yahweh, God, the father. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. By the way, righteous in Hebrew means somebody who follows the law of the Ten Commandments. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel. What does that mean, awaiting the Messiah? And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit 
that he should not see death before he has seen he has seen the Christ of the Lord. Here's something interesting. So the Holy Spirit also fell upon and came upon people in the Old Testament prior to baptism, prior to New Testament baptism. So we also see in the Old Testament economy that God's Spirit would rest upon and fall upon people as well. It says he came into the he came in the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, "Now, Master." You may let your servant go in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people Israel. I hope those are the last words I say before I die. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's where Our Lady was predicted that she would receive the grace to be Our Lady of Sorrows. That if we go to Our Lady of Sorrows, she's able to tell us the generational sin that plagues our family. A novena to Our Lady of Sorrows. Our Lady of Sorrows will reveal to you the sin that afflicts your family generation. The generational spirit. The Bible goes on to say, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the, da the daughter of Fanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage. And then as a widow, she was 84. She never left the temple. That's a prayer warrior. That reminds me of a lot of Philippine women, Hispanic women today. <laughs> they just spend their night and day in at the Adoration Chapel, fasting and praying. It's, I'll be honest with you. Females in the Catholic Church are the military arm of Catholicism in terms of the firepower, the, the powerful prayer power that comes from the Catholic Church. It comes, I would say, mostly from, from women. The Bible says, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who are awaiting the redemption of, of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong. This is Jesus, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. So Jesus Christ, on, on his human level, he started growing in age and wisdom and in grace. And he was filled with wisdom. Unlike, unlike any wisdom that Israel had ever seen, even since the days of Solomon, exceeding even the greatest, uh, the wisest man ever in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ was wisdom personified. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. We're talking about, uh, we're going to be getting into God's word, my favorite topic. And by the way, today is the feast day of the presentation of the child of Jesus in the temple. Today is that feast day. What lessons can we learn? Well, gaze your eyes upon this child. He's the savior of the world. And have faith like a child. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Father Kirby's up next. places can hey family we're back to terry and jesse show we're going to be talking to father kirby about my favorite book and father kirby's favorite book every catholic it should be every catholic's favorite book 
the Holy Bible, sacred scripture. Here's a good acronym for the Bible. B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. Father Kirby, welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. Good, thank you. Good to be on the show. Father, so you wrote a book, just came out. It's called Understanding the Bible, a Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life Today. Awesome. So why did you write this book, Padre? Yeah, so we are in a golden age right now of Catholic biblical studies. There are more resources now to the average Catholic in terms of applying, reading, interpreting, understanding the Bible than ever before. In fact, in many respects, this is a real springtime in terms of understanding the scriptures. So because of this, uh, there are increasing demands, uh, asks, requests for, for more resources. So people have been reaching out saying, hey, can, 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 can we get more resources? We want to go a little deeper. So because of the overall environment, because of these requests, I, I thought, well, let me put some pen to paper and see what I can do. That's good, Father, because, again, you're, just, you're, you're following the trajectory of a lot of good men. I know, you know Dr. Scott Hahn came out with a Genesis to Jesus seminar, Jeff Cavins, The Bible Timeline, uh, Jimmy Aiken uh, wrote a book on, uh, you know, uh, about uh, the, uh, uh, the, the uniqueness of the Holy Bible. This is good because it's, most Catholics don't realize that this is our book. And, uh, and it's time for us as Catholics to take it as serious as Protestants and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses at the very least. And it's time for us to uh, uh, to, to soak in the scriptures like you would jo- soak in your jacuzzi. So, so, Father, what's the basic structure of the format of this book? Yeah, so we know that there are 73 books in the complete Bible, and there are 73 chapters of, of my book. And, and each chapter awesome. of the book parallels the book of the Bible. And, and there's a general format and outline for each book. So, you know, main theme, general topics, uh, outline of the book, uh, key words, uh, principal facts about the book, and then an application. So each part of the, each book applies, each chapter applies some part of the biblical book. So that same format is followed for every 73 books of the Bible. And, and I'll tell you, uh, the book, uh, writing it and composing it, it was a labor of love because I went through every book of the Bible, all 73 of them, and wanted to make sure that I provided the most important information. Wow. It was easy to approach, easy to understand, digestible, and just went point by point by point. So I think if someone approaches the book and say they want to read a book of the Bible, they can you know immediately flip to the chapter of my book that that, that parallels that book of the Bible. And then there's the same outline and it's the same outline follows the same outline for all 73 books uh, throughout uh, my book, understanding the Bible. That's awesome. Father, you know, something very interesting. You probably know this, I'm sure. But, uh, uh, the, uh, years ago, when I went, I went to Jerusalem and I went, uh, and I was looking at an encyclopedia, uh, there in downtown Jerusalem, a Jewish encyclopedia. It says that the, uh, the, the Greek Septuagint, which was the Holy Bible, that was used at the time of Christ and the apostles, it had 46 books as well. This, the identical list of books found in the Catholic Old Testament. So I, I found that a couple of years ago quite, quite remarkable when I was in Jerusalem yeah. and I discovered that. So, Father, um, all right, here's a practical question for just Joe Sixpack in the pew for uh, for the lunch pail Catholic, the blue collar Catholic. How is the Bible relevant to us today? Isn't it outdated? <laughs> but we know that the, the Bible is a living word. It's, it's not just uh, an ancient document that every time we read the scriptures, uh, God is speaking to us. So it could be words of consolation or correction, encouragement or affirmation. 
that every time we pick up the scriptures and read, God the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through the Bible. So uh, it's a living word. So it's just as relevant now as when it was written, as when it was uh, formalized. In every generation, it's the word of God, which is changeless and constantly applicable. So the word of God is, is as important today as it has been in any other generation. Again, we pick up the Bible. God is speaking to us. Uh, yeah, it's uh, just like Jesus. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his word is timeless. It's uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's still relevant. I like to tell people, Father, I, I tell people that there's no expiration date in the Bible. That's you know? right. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you know, the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Compost, the Chicago Tribune, all those things are used as kitty litter at the end of the week, you know, or you put them in the bottom of your bird, your birdcage. But the Holy Bible is timeless. It's, it's what I call it's a weapon of mass instruction. Not a weapon of mass, a weapon of mass instruction. So, Padre, um, is God still speaking to us today through the Bible? Or is it simply just a... Uh, a record of salvation history that's time-stamped that's irrelevant to us today. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the Bible isn't a Hallmark card. Uh, it's not about warm fuzzies or about poetry or, you know, uh, cute little sayings. Uh, the Bible, again, it, it, it's a living word. And we pick up the Bible, uh, as you said, it, it, it's a weapon of mass instruction. And, and St. Paul tells us that in his letter to the Romans, like the scriptures were given for instruction. And we know in the letter of Saint, uh, the letter uh, to the Hebrews, it says that uh, the word of God, it, it cuts the marrow, between the marrow and the bone, between the soul mm -hmm. and, and the spirit. Like So every time we pick up the scriptures, uh, we better be ready because God has some things to say. And again, sometimes it's words of consolation. Sometimes it might be some words of provocation. The words in, that the, the word of the Lord is, is, is going to correct us or push us a little bit. So. Uh, you know, the, the idea that, well, I'm going to pick up the Bible and, and it gives me this warm fuzzy or it's this ancient book of, of something that happened in the past. Uh, no, like the, the scriptures are, are alive and active. We, we read the sacred narrative. It, it describes the lives of holy ones, the same story that's being played out in our lives, the same encounters, the same uh, you know moments we have with God that, that the holy ones had in previous generations. And the scriptures are there to teach us how God instructs us, how God approaches us, how God disciplines us, how God loves us. So it's a constant living word going back and forth between ourselves and this divine instruction that God has given to us. Like, like a divine dance. Father, so what? here's the here's most important. Uh, okay, the name of your book and where do people get it? How can people get this book? Yeah, so uh, understanding the Bible and basically how God's Word applies to our lives today and through our Sunday visitors, so they can go to, to the publisher, OSB, and order it. They can go to my website, frkirby.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, Father Kirby. They can also go to the EWTN Religious Catalog, which is their local Catholic bookstore. All right. So why do you think there's so many Catholics who are unfamiliar and uncomfortable with the, with the Bible? Yeah, I think in large part because... Somehow we have this misunderstanding. It, it, it's probably something that the, the devil has whispered into our culture. Yeah. But this misunderstanding that, that the Bible is overwhelming, it's intimidating, you can't really understand it, it's weird, it's removed from us. And, and none of that's true. We have to pick up the Bible and start reading. And yes, there has to be some instruction at times that comes along with it. But once we begin to understand the structure and the flow of the Bible, we begin to realize this is completely readable, completely understandable, this is not only easy to read, but actually something that contributes to my life, makes me a better person, makes me a better child of God. 
and draws forth something, compels something out of me that's greater than myself. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's something interesting. Most people don't realize. I tell people just if you look at Guinea's book or old records, it says that the Holy Bible is the number one best-selling book year in and year out ever since the invention of the printing press. So that's just, you know, good. Uh, it just kind of good for your need to know file. So, Father, it's um, it's been said that the Bible is God's love letter to us. Who who said that? Uh, and can you explain what that actually means? Yeah, sure. So uh, many saints in their own uh, distinctive way have, have said that. Uh, you know, in particular, I think of St. Gregory the Great, uh, one of our early popes who who was very fond of the scriptures and would speak of them in that term, in, in the terms of, of this love letter. But again, many saints, we could you know, begin to quote one after the other, have, have said similar things. And what's meant by that is just that, you know, first of all, when God is speaking to the scriptures, it's words of love. And, and we know that love is patient and kind. We also know, though, that at times love requires sacrifice, that so we realize what's wrong or what's sinful. We die to that in ourselves in order to seek the good of, of the one that we love as, as well as the good within our within ourselves. So it, it's a love letter. And, and with that love letter comes uh, affection. You know, so you can imagine like, you know, nowadays if someone receives an email from someone that they really love, they might save that email. In the past, it was actually written letters that we would save. And, and people would have these collection of letters from, from times of, of great affection or from people that they particularly love and that love them. But we can imagine as we have these letters, these emails that are saved, we save them because they're so powerful and they're so encouraging and, and you know, they, they remind us of, of the love of, of this other person. And that same spirit, this is what we mean when we say that the scriptures, the Bible is God's love letter, that he's sending us this letter. He's given us these instructions in order to show us that he loves us with all that comes with that. And with that love also comes his affection, that he truly desires the best for us, that he wants to, us to know how much we're loved. And, and while love is not just about the warm fuzzies, like there are times in which there is a certain uplifting of the spirit and a certain emotional response that comes with that. Now, we don't always look for that. That's not expected. But there are times we can feel that, that God shows his love and, and affection at times uh, through the sacred scriptures. So I, I tell people, look, if you want to know who God is, you don't want to keep accepting the cultural lies of who God is, these caricatures of the living God, then open up the sacred scriptures and fasten your seatbelt and get ready for the most adventurous ride of your life as you truly encounter the living and true God and hear him teach you. Father, I can just imagine just a young bride, you know, their husband's in Afghanistan or Iraq or, you know, Ukraine, you know, uh, and, uh, and he's writing a letter to his young bride. And the anticipation that she waits awaits for that letter, and when it arrives, the way she just reads it voraciously, that's what I think about when you talk about God's love letter. Fathers, uh, let's see if we could get, uh, so which book or books of the Bible do you find most inspiring? You've got about a minute. Yeah, so I, I'm always, uh, I've found uh, great encouragement uh, from uh, the gospel books, of course, uh, especially the gospel of Luke and then the gospel, the uh, letter of St. Paul to the Romans. So those are two that stand out for me, but that also shifts. Ask me in a month, I'll probably have a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, get Father's book, Understanding the Bible, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life Today, OSV.com, OSV.com, or Father, your website. How do they get it on your website? Yep, FRKirby.com. FRKirby.com. We're going to continue asking Father some questions. Uh, about the the most uh, uh, the most uh, read book, the most uh, sold book, 
the most printed book in human history, the Holy Bible. Uh, Father, maybe we can get this. No, we're not going to get in. I, I can I can already anticipate the music. But I'm going to prepare you for the next segment, Father. I want you to answer what's the difference. It's probably going to take a little bit longer than maybe some of the questions that, I, that I'm asking you. What's the difference between the Catholic and the Protestant Bible? That's going to be up next here with Father Kirby on the Terry and Jesse show. And then I'm going to ask you also, Father, how should we approach reading the Bible on the next segment? You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. We got Father Kirby, author of Understanding the Bible, Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life Today. Pick it up. OSV.com. OSV.com. Let's get into the Bible and let's read uh, God's love letter to us. We'll be right back. Stick around. Bible, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instruction Before Leaving Earth, Weapon of Mass Instruction. We got Father Kirby, who just wrote a book called Understand the Bible. You can pick it up at OSV.com. OSV.com, a Catholic guide to applying God's word to your life today. Father Kirby, so what's the difference between the Catholic and the Protestant Bible, a 500-year polemic there? Yes, yes, yes. So there's seven books in the Old Testament that the Protestant reformers removed in the early 16th century. And as we were discussing earlier, if we go to the ancient manuscripts of Second Temple Judaism, we see that the those seven books are actually in the in the scriptures in the canon, the official list of the books of the Bible. In fact, there have been articles written, and one scholar made the point that there are over four hundred references to those seven books in the teachings of the Lord Jesus. Wow! So the Protestants call them the apocrypha. Uh, that means false teaching. And sometimes our Protestant neighbors use that term. They don't realize how insulting that is. At least not most of them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as Catholics, we call them the deuterocanonicals. So that's the seven books, the deuterocanonicals, that were removed by the Protestant reformers. Thanks be to God, we all agree on the New Testament. Now, the reformers did remove James and Hebrews, but eventually put those back in. So we do agree that there are 27 books in the New Testament. But there's the seven books in the Old Testament that we disagree with, disagree on. Now, I'll say this. Those seven books are found in the later parts of the Bible. Uh, thanks be to God, Catholics and Protestants all agree on the five books of the Torah, the five books of the Pentateuch, those first five books. And that's important mm -hmm. because those five books are the heart of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. There are these seven books discrepancies. There's a long history on why they were removed. Short answer, they were removed because the Protestant reformers said that they were adulterated by Greek philosophy, Greek thought. As Catholics, we have no problem with that. Uh, the fact that God has revealed himself in a different way, the fact that Greek philosophy helped us to understand his revelation, the fact that God would, spe would speak to us even through uh, Greek thought or Greek philosophy. So uh, Second Temple Judaism had no problem with it. Uh, the Catholic Church has never had a problem with it. Uh, we find the reformers later having a problem with it, and rabbinic Judaism. And, and I'll tell you, this is a point that always has to be made, that rabbinic Judaism is post-Second Temple. So it's the, the temples destroyed in 70 AD is the birth of rabbinic Judaism. That's the Judaism of today. That is very different 
very different from Second Temple Judaism, which is the Judaism of our Lord, and the Judaism that readily welcomed the Deuterocanonicals. In fact, we know that they welcomed the Deuterocanonicals because of the celebration of Hanukkah. That's only contained in the Deuterocanonicals. That's right. Yeah, Maccabean, one of the Maccabean books. And, and in Judaism, they don't have catechisms like we have in the Catholic Church. The liturgical year is the catechism in Judaism, in the Jewish faith. And so the fact that they would keep the celebration of Hanukkah shows that rabbinic Judaism removed the seven books because the Christians accepted them. So it was a reflection of the tension between rabbinic Judaism and the early Christian faith, early Christian community. There's a lot of history there. Yeah. I, I, I oftentimes point out to people is when we agreed as the people of God that the scriptures could be translated from, from Hebrew to Greek. So that Septuagint that you were mentioning earlier, that the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that became a fundamental principle that there could be development or renewed understanding of what God has given to us in his revelations. That became the principle of Second Temple Judaism. That's the principle of Roman Catholicism. That is not the principle of rabbinic Judaism. That's not the principle of Protestant, classical Protestant theology. Well, they lost their authority, Father, when Jesus established the church, because now the church is the new Israel of God. And so now Peter and, and the apostles, they speak with the authority of God, not uh, the Old Testament, which has become, as the book of Hebrews says, obsolete. So, Father, what? Uh, how should we approach reading the Bible as Catholics? Yes, I think that we should, again, understand this is the, the word of God. We should approach it with, with reverence and deference. That when we approach it, we pick up the, the sacred scriptures to realize that this is God speaking. And so we should make sure that we have our you know, heart in the right place, that we are attentive to what's being said. And then as we approach it, we try to be as strategic as possible. Sometimes there's a little bit of prep that has to be done in order to understand what the scriptures are saying. So I think as we approach the scriptures, we do the prep we can. And then we just ask the Lord. We ask the Lord to speak to us. We, we pray to the Holy Spirit. We ask for the opening of our minds and hearts to be taught, instructed, corrected, in order to understand what it means to be a child of God. Father, one of the problems with a lot of secular secular humanists, is that, and especially in colleges, universities, they approach the Bible with the with the hermeneutic of suspicion. See, it's wrong here. God says, "Don't eat crabfish." Moses says, "Don't eat this. Don't eat shellfish." But then he, so they don't even want to understand the context. Oftentimes, they already approach it with suspicion. Where the Catholic approach to Scripture is, uh, Saint Augustine even said it back in the fourth century. He says. Uh, when he approaches a text that he doesn't understand, he doesn't find fault with the text. He says, "I just don't understand it." He, he, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, uh, you know, uh, cast aspersions upon the text. He goes, "I just don't understand." The fault is with me. It's not with God. God's text is. Yeah. So I thought I just yeah. throw that in there. So, uh, is the New Testament more important than the Old Testament? <laughs> I would say that the, the question itself is 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 um, misplaced. That okay. no tension between Old Testament and New Testament is that right. Oftentimes, tell people there's one God, one plan of salvation, two testaments. Uh, quoting again Saint Augustine, the the Old Testament is manifest in the New, the New Testament is hidden in the Old. So to say is one more important than the other. Um, I would say that the old points us to the new and the new fulfills the old. So, you know, it's, it's like asking a parent which child they like most. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, yeah. you know, it, 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 when we approach the word of God, like there, there, there can be no selection. There's no, 
that we can't say one is above the other because they say, well, the New Testament is more important than the Old Testament. Well, then what you've done is completely remove the entire foundation of the New Testament. Or if you say the Old Testament is more important than the New, then you've completely removed all of its fulfillment. So I, I would say that um, we can approach the scriptures as seeing them as the left and right hook of the living God mm. against the evil one against sin and death. Yeah. Uh, again, it's uh, it, it's just the 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 entire story of uh, of God's uh, you know salvation history, God's love letter to the human race, and it does start off with the Book of Genesis. To understand the New Testament, you have to understand uh, the, the the prophets, the patriarchs, Adam and Eve. All of that comes into play. Uh, so, Father, can we use the Bible in prayer, and how should we use this? Yes, I think that uh, this is one part. So. That, that can be overlooked. I mean, first we have to start reading the scriptures, we have to study the scriptures, and then we, we pray the scriptures. There's beautiful prayer methods in how we can allow the word of God to just be absorbed by our souls. So, for example, the, the prayer method called Lexio Divina, where we just simply sit in silence and reflect on a certain passage of the scripture. The prophet Jeremiah says we are to eat the word of God, right? And, and so when we are you know, taking that time to pray and, and perhaps Lexio Divina, where we simply allow a passage of the scripture to, to keep being repeated into our souls, that again, it's, it's the equivalent spiritually of, of eating the word of God. So mm. yeah, I think we have to take that time of prayer because you know, sometimes what happens is we can approach the scriptures and we read something and say, oh yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. And we move on. And or we have a you know a larger portion of the scriptures we're reading and say like, okay okay okay, and then we can miss something. I'll tell you, there's times when I'm reading a commentary or, or or some writer and they're like, well, in this part, on and on and on, it's like that's not there. That, uh, I've read that passage hundreds of times. Like that's not there. <laughs> and then I go in and and I look and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it's there. Let, let me just give you an example. Just recently, I was reading a commentary and you know when the Lord Jesus quotes. Um, the, the psalm uh, to uh, his detractors, and he says, you know, David said, my Lord sits at my Lord, right? Like my, the Lord mm -hmm. sits at my Lord's right hand, and so, and so on. And, um, and the Lord Jesus says, in the spirit, David said, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I've read that passage hundreds and hundreds of times, personally, liturgically, I proclaimed it in, in the Mass, and I thought, the Lord Jesus doesn't say that. And I have to go back to the to the passage and say, oh, my goodness. Like, the Lord Jesus is telling us that in the spirit, David saw the Son of God sit at the right hand of God. So in English, it's hard. The Lord sits at my, at my Lord's right hand. In Hebrew, it's easier. It's Elohim sits at the hand of Yahweh. And wow. David wow. sees this by the spirit, right? So just that one example where... Here's someone, I, I'm a friend priest 15 years, and I read this, and I had to go back to the scriptures. I thought, oh, my gosh, right? I need to sit with this and reflect and pray on this and, and try to understand this whole new aspect now of this scripture that I've known for years and years. So that, that's the beauty of the scriptures. And when we pray the scriptures, it takes them to another whole level that we can't get if we're just reading and studying the scriptures. It has to be reading, studying, and praying the scriptures. Father, we're right up to the wire here. You can get Father Kirby's book. It's called Understanding the Bible, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life Today. Get it from osv.com, osv.com. Understanding the Bible. Father Kirby, what's your website? frkirby.com. 
Let's see if you can get this last uh, quick uh, soundbite answer. What's the relationship between the Bible tradition and the magisterium? Yes, um, they are completely bound to one another. You can't have the scriptures without tradition. You can't have tradition in the scriptures without the magisterium. It, it, there, there, there are three parts of a stool, and if you take one, you're going to fall on your backside. <laughs> Here's the last one. You may be able to get this in. A lot of people, when they hear the word of God, they think, ah, oh, it's a book. It's a Bible. It's the, the letter-bound book over there in the corner in, in, the, in, in the living room. Is it, when, when we use that phrase, the word of God, is it more than just a book? No, it, it is, definitely. In fact, um, oftentimes when I'm speaking of the Bible, uh, I will make sure that at some point I make references to the written Word of God. That as Catholics, as biblical Christians, we know that the Word of God is both oral and written. So written uh, Word of God is, is the sacred scriptures, the Bible. The oral Word of God is sacred tradition. Both are a part of the revelations of God. Both are necessary. Awesome. Father, thank you so much for coming on the Terry and Jesse show. We'll have to have you on again. Uh Hope to uh, get the book, Understanding the Bible. Family, get the book, Understanding the Bible by Father Kirby, osv.com, osv.com. Father Kirby, thank you. Have a great uh, have a great rest of the day. God bless you. Keep the faith. Yes, sir. Thank you. God bless you. You got it. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. We just had Father Kirby on. Get his book, Understanding the Bible, osv.com, Understanding the Bible, osv.com. Every single question you got about the Bible is answered right there. We'll be back. Stick around. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Moving right along, this is the Terry and Jesse Show. Want to talk now about Pope Francis's conversation in his letter to Father James Martin. Uh <clears throat> Pope Francis says circumstances may eliminate fault of sodomy in a letter to Father James Martin. Well, let's take a look at uh, at what's happening here. This is an article from LifeSite News. LifeSite News, our good friends out there. In his most recent remarks on homosexuality, Pope Francis appears to teach situational ethics. Positing that circumstances may altogether remove the, the guilt of grave sin for homosexual acts. The comments came in response to questions sent to the Pope by fellow Jesuit Father James Martin, notorious for his heretical push for acceptance of homosexual unions and lifestyles within the church. Following an interview the Pope gave to the AP, which was published in several articles last week, in which the pontiff called for the decriminalization of sodomy throughout the world and branded faithful Catholic bishops defending such laws as being in need of conversion. Father Martin asked the Pope to clarify his comment that, quote, being gay is a sin. Father Martin wrote the following, quote, there seems to have been some confusion about your comment, being gay is a sin, which of course is not part of church teaching. Martin wrote, my feeling was that you were simply repeating what others might say hypothetically. So do you think that simply being gay is a sin? Father Martin asked Pope Francis. Pope Francis replied with a handwritten note. In the letter, he insisted that the criminalization of homosexual act is neither, the, is neither good nor just. Doubling down on what he has said 
in the Associated Press interview, which was the first time a pope has ever called for the decriminalization of sodomy in 2,000 years. The pope said, the pope declared to Father Martin, he said this, quote, I wanted to clarify that it is not a crime in order to stress that criminalization is neither good nor just. And I would tell whoever wants to criminalize homosexuality, they are wrong. The Pope declared to Father Martin. Here's my comment. With all due respect, I don't know why the Pope is bringing this up. It's a non-issue here in the Western criminal law. It's not a crime in Western criminal law. It's been decriminalized years ago by the Supreme Court. But it's a crime in Islam. And so the Holy Father needs to talk to the world's imams and tell them to decriminalize it. It's not a crime in the West. It's a sin. It's a crime in Sharia law, which comes from the Quran. So maybe, maybe I think that he's talking to the wrong audience. Maybe he should give this interview on Al Jazeera television, radio, and the newspaper. The article says, the pontiff seemed to affirm Catholic teaching that homosexual acts are indeed a sin, just as every sexual act outside of marriage is a sin. However, the Pope then stated that, quote, one must also consider the circumstances which may decrease or eliminate fault. As the Pope continued, he seemed to distance himself from affirming the universal objective sinfulness of such acts, saying, quote, as you can see, I was repeating something in general. I should have said it is a sin, as is any sexual act outside of marriage. This is to speak of the matter of sin, but we know well that Catholic morality not only takes into consideration the matter, but also evaluates freedom and intention, and this for every kind of sin, close quote. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I got a degree in theology. This was an ambiguous statement made by the Pope. I don't know what he meant. I don't know what he meant by that. We need the Pope to speak in the manner of Occam's razor. What does that mean? Short, simple, clear, and to the point. But I just read there, you can't make sense out of that. It's an ambiguous statement. But we do know this, that the greatest theologian in the Catholic Church, St. Thomas Aquinas, teaches contrary to what Pope Francis just claimed right now. That circumstances can never wholly remove the guilt of grave sin for an action that is known to be gravely sinful and is yet chosen anyway. He also teaches that human choice, St. Thomas teaches that human choice is always free because the will cannot be forced. If someone is externally forced to commit a bodily act, as when a woman is raped, that act is not chosen by the one who's forced. Human law acknowledges as much. So anything that is actually chosen is freely chosen because the will is inherently free, which means that any gravely sinful action that is chosen is freely chosen, like sodomy. It is from this that the guilt of, the, of grave it is it is from this that the guilt of grave sin arises from a gravely sinful object that is known to be such and is yet chosen. This teaching of St. Thomas was reiterated and elevated to the, to the level of definitive papal magisterium 
by Pope John Paul II in Veritatis Splendor when he taught that there are certain actions which always and everywhere are gravely sinful when chosen by man prior to and independent of any consideration uh, of circumstances or intention. The proposal that the sinfulness of human actions can never be judged based simply upon the sinfulness of the object chosen and prior to a consideration of circumstances was expressly condemned by John Paul II as a heresy that undermines the universal prohibitions that God himself has revealed to man in the Ten Commandments. Since homosexual acts, together with every sexual act outside of marriage, are objectively gravely sinful and are known to be such by the Catholic who knows what the church teaches, these acts cannot be chosen without incurring the guilt of mortal sin. This judgment in no way requires any consideration of circumstances or motive. As the church has definitively taught, these acts are gravely sinful always and everywhere because of their object. When a person knowingly chooses such an object, they necessarily incur the guilt of grave sin. Therefore, not all moral judgments rest upon an, action, an action's circumstances. The church has definitively taught this in spite of what Father James Martin or Pope Francis might say to the contrary. The Pope's comments come amid a clear attempt within the church's hierarchy to regularize sodomy. Last week, Father James Martin defended homosexual Pete Buttigieg same-sex union as a marriage, comments that drew fire from Bishop Joseph Strickland, who called same-sex unions living a fiction. Good for you, Bishop Strickland. San Diego's Cardinal Robert McElroy then issued a lengthy letter calling for Holy Communion to be given to those who engage in homosexual acts. Wow. Wow. Why isn't he excommunicated? San Diego's Cardinal McElroy, in his letter, derided the church's clear teaching on the grave sinfulness of these acts. McElroy's letter is but the latest explicit endorsement of sodomy on the part of a cardinal who in many ways supports and aggressively pushes for acceptance of homosexual actions and lifestyles within the church. Yep. Cardinal McElroy is one of 14 pro-LGBT bishops in the United States. Scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. Servant of God, Father John Harden, rest in peace, says nothing blinds the intellect more than sexual moral sin. Father Gabriel Amorth, passed away in 2016, Rome's greatest exorcist, says... The devil will try every trick to force man's body to become an occasion of sin. You know what Cardinal McElroy and Father James Martin and Pope Francis should be promoting to people who struggle with same-sex attractions is the Holy Rosary. St. Louis de Montfort says no one can live continually in sin and continue to say the rosary. Either they will give up sin or they will give up the rosary. St. Louis de Montfort. St. Loris Justinian, who died in 1456, said, The delights of the flesh induce forgetfulness of God. Close quote. In other words, St. Lawrence Justinian just said that the sins of the flesh makes men forget God. 
St. Jerome also said that it's rare to find a heretic that loves chastity. It's rare to find a heretic that loves chastity. That fits like a hand in glove. That identifies Father James Martin. Father James Martin is a material heretic that does not love chastity because he does not promote chastity. I'll read it again. St. Jerome. It's hard to find a heretic that loves chastity. Hey, family, that's a wrap. My name is Jesse Romero. Remember, remember that it's uh, this is the month of the Holy Family. Find any reason and add it to your prayers at the end. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Save souls. Hey, church, don't forget that Jesus Christ, whatever happens in the future, Christ has already conquered on Calvary. Christ reigns from his throne and Christ commands and he's coming back. Christus vincit, Christus reinat, Christus imperat. This is the royal play, the, the royal praise of the medieval knights in the middle in the Middle Ages. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Be saints. You weren't made to fit in. Live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Let's pray America great again. And remember, St. Padre Pio, St. Pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful, and God will hear your prayer. That's a wrap. God bless you. See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. Keep the faith.